Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you here. Our focus this week is surgical robotics and technology. We're going to speak with Megan Rosengarden of Medtronic. She's the head of the Surgical Robotics Group. She spoke with my good friend and colleague, Sean Hooley, about Hugo's securing CE mark. So Hugo is now commercial and uh, Megan will bring us up to speed. A little later on, I'm going to have a great conversation with Ivan Tonos, the COO of Zimmer Biomet. Zimmer Biomet, of course, has the Rosa robot, but we talked about so much more. In fact, uh, Ivan said he doesn't think that Zimmer should be seen as a surgical robotics company, but more as a tech company. So uh, great and far-ranging conversation. Lots going on over there at Zimmer Biomet. But before we begin this episode, I want to bring in Mike Sanford, Vice President of Business Development at Nisha Medical Technologies. Nisha is the sponsor of this episode of Device Talks. Mike, tell us about Nisha Medical Technologies. Tom, Nisha Medical Technologies is essentially a, a full-service contract product design and manufacturing partner to the minimally invasive surgical market. Our footprint spans the globe with development and manufacturing resources in North America, Europe, and Asia. We specialize very, very heavily in mechanical and electrical mechanical surgical instrumentation. We also carry a, a pretty robust bank of clinical accessories used in a variety of those electro-surgical applications, such as uh, grounding pads and, and also navigation electrodes used in electrophysiology and ENT applications. We're very active in the world of, of endoscopic access. We've got a, a significant play in, in a variety of sports medicine modalities. Wound closure is a very big business for us. And again, surgical navigation is an area that we've got a, a very unique portfolio of, of capabilities. So our team has really evolved over the past few years through a variety of strategic initiatives that include the organic development of some very innovative processes and, and, and workflows in terms of how we engage our customers through the development phase, uh, including certain enabling technologies in the areas of sensing and navigation. And we've also made some very strategic acquisitions of market leading capabilities that ultimately have helped us uh, position as one of the market's most vertically integrated CDMOs. We'll hear more from Mike Sanford a little later in the podcast. If you want more information about Nisha Medical Technologies, go to nishamedical.com. Nisha is spelled N-I-S-S-H-A. Now time to start the podcast. Let's go. All right, you ready for this? Ready. back and we have chris newmarker back on the podcast chris welcome back newmarker's back Woohoo! it's gonna be here tom we're doing this on wednesday because you're doing what tomorrow and friday well in minnesota they close down the schools for a long weekend so so we have our uh, mea weekend minnesota educators i think i think it's minnesota education association weekend here so long weekend with the kids Teachers again, long weekend. They're uh, they conference. They're supposed to. They're learning how to better educate our kids. So and we are all about professional development here at Device Talks. And there we go. That's what we'll be doing at our uh, at our meetings next year. Boston, May tenth, eleven. Minnesota, June sixth and seventh. And Santa Clara, October nineteenth to twentieth. Go to devicetalks.com. Be there or B square for more information. Yes, yes. That's that's. Can I can I use that one, Chris? Yeah, yeah. do it, man. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good one. Get on get it on the t shirt. <laughs> when are we gonna get the merch, Tom? When are we gonna get the merch? I, I'm, Come on. I I know. I saw on our Slack channel someone else is talking about getting t shirts, and I'm thinking I gotta we gotta push we gotta push for some merch. Gotta do it, man. Yeah. All right. Well, right. you brought a, a whole bag of new markers, newsmakers, and you brought Sean Hooley, associate of mass yes. device as well hey sean hey good to be back sean hooley you spoke with megan rosengarden of medtronic it's part of our episode focus on surgical robotics today we're going to speak with megan rosengarden we're going to talk with ivan tonos of zimra biomet which of course has rosa its robot but is doing a lot more on digital surgery and other fronts as well in fact uh ivan 
Tornar says that uh, Zimmer Biomet is uh, is becoming a technology company, which is kind of a, a cool statement to make. So uh, we'll bring you that interview a little bit later. And uh, we're going to talk some robotics in the uh, New Marcus Newsmakers, aren't we, Chris Newmark? Oh, man, it's like robotics week on Mass Device. There is yeah. so much sur- surgical robotics news this week. All right. Well, let's not uh, keep our listeners waiting. What's number five on the New Marcus Newsmakers? Well, number five on the list, uh, this uh, ran in full on medical design outsourcing from our managing editor, Jim Hammerand, but it's uh, it's uh, it's about how, uh, you know, we, we had an intuitive surgical earnings this week. They beat the street. The earnings call, uh, there was a lot of insights about the uh, supply chain problems that we're, you know, seeing. And, uh, you know, their, their CFO, Marshall Moore, uh, you know, was saying that he, you know, especially when it comes to semiconductors, you know, he he's hearing that the problems could persist into 2022. So, you know, intuitive, like leather, you know, it's just like more, more evidence that, you know, they're, you know, that, that, you know, big medical device companies such as intuitive are really keeping an eye right now on uh, supply chains and, you know, and how that it's going to affect, affect their business, you know, versus consumer demand. I mean, they're not, they're not like raising a huge alarm yet, but I mean, it's, um, it's definitely a problem. Yeah, for sure. And I'll have to say, Jim Hammerin, the managing editor of Metal Design and Outsourcing, is reporting the heck out of these earnings calls. These are really uh, robust reports on the calls, including... It's awesome. Yeah, here's, uh, he has CEO Gary Guthart talking about uh, about Medtronic's uh, surgical robot, Hugo Surgical Robotic System approval in Europe, which is what Sean will talk with Megan Rosengarten about. So uh, Gary Guthart uh, repeated some of the comments he made uh, on our first Intuitive Talks podcast, which folks can find on devicetalks.com. I feel like I'm doing a lot of pitching right now, but I'll yeah. slow that down. I like how Guthard in the article, um, you know, the, the Jim wrote with, you know, he he quoted him saying that, you know, over Hugo that in the other competitors too. I mean, you know, that, you know, that there's, you know, he said, there's a fair number of claims about what these new systems will do. And I think the reality is time will tell. Yep. Um, they're Gen 1 systems. Uh, I mean, do you think he was giving them a little shade? I mean, what do you think? I don't think it's shade. I think that yeah. it was stated in an earlier podcast that it really pays to be first to market. And obviously, Intuitive is first by a couple of decades. So it's, 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 <laughs> but when you're first, you, you fail first, you learn first, you, you adapt quicker. So all of these other companies yeah. are going to have to, obviously, they've probably brought people in house who understand some of the challenges that Intuitive and others have faced. There's been a lot of surgical robot systems out in the market. But uh, they're going to be out there for the first time with their own product, and they're going to learn what it can do and what it can't do. So, yeah, exactly. But but you know, he's being honest about it, I guess, rather than not commenting. He's commenting, and he's saying something that's hard to deny. So yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's such a fascinating space right now. Yeah, Intuitive is dominated for so long, and now all of a sudden we've got these big companies such as Medtronic, J and J, and just a host of these you know smaller companies just looking to break in here and do something. Absolutely, and of course, as I mentioned, Zimmer Biomed as well. They have some uh, some cool tech that's going along with their robot. We'll talk about that later on with Yvonne Tornos. But uh, all right, let us move on to uh, on to number four. Oh, number. Number four on the list, uh, we've got a, uh, you know, talking about uh, ZB, we've got their uh, former CFO, Tony Collins. He's uh, joining a uh, Salt Lake City-based company called Zenter um, as their chief financial officer. And uh, this is a company that's developing new wireless medical device technologies and uh, and digital health tools. So so there you go. I mean, Zimber Biomet's like more and more saying that, you know, they're a technology company that they're, you know, packaging, you know, all these sensors and really neat tools into, you know, the ortho space that traditionally wasn't as much like that. And, you know, now their uh, former CFO is, uh, you know, joining a, uh, you know, kind of a wireless medical device digital health company. Oh, that is a, a convenient segue, and it's uh, it does say something about medtech. I'm I'm trying to recall the article or the study that uh, medtech innovator did with Deloitte uh, about medtech startups, and I think it was something like seventy percent of medtech startups had some sort of connectivity component to their products, like going forward. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the, the lines blur between, or how the lines blur between medical technology and uh, connected technology, because yeah. I don't think there's going to be much separating them. I've written a lot of this year about, you know, Zimmer Biomed and their their smart knee implant that they just came out with. I mean, that's just, what a what a wild technology. The idea that I could get a knee implant there's a box in my house and my knee implant is just going to talk to it and give all this data about how my knee's doing and just who would have thought, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
And we talked about that with Yvonne Tornos later on on the podcast. Uh, and right, we'll right, be right. talking about that on Device I'll Talks. Stop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Device Talks Boston, May 10th and 11th. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. We got to right. stop talking. Come to Device Talks Boston if you want to find out more about this. <laughs> Well, before we hear from Megan Rosengarten of Medtronic, I'd like to bring back Mike Sanford of Nisha Medical Technologies. Mike, you're in a competitive CDMO space. What steps has Nisha Medical Technologies taken to really differentiate itself and its value proposition to medical OEMs? So, Tom, it's it's honestly a very good question, and it's one that that often keeps me up at night. Ultimately, our goal has always been to be to provide best-in-class speed, quality, and value And to be honest, we've invested very heavily to onboard some of the most relevant technologies and capabilities. And we've also been very focused on developing a team that's both committed to the mission and also a team that's able to collaborate freely and effectively. So for us, value has really come from our ability to combine a really strong bench of engineers and designers with our vertical integration that really we find in a lot of the majority of the complex handheld and robotic assist devices that we work on. And from a, from a vertical integration perspective, you know, it really includes the complex cable assemblies, precision molding, and, and most recently, we integrated uh, metal machining capabilities after acquiring a production facility from one of our large tier one OEM partners. From a contract manufacturing view, we, we offer a very scalable platforms supporting everything from low to high volume work cells that also include you know, highly manual processes to fully automated processes. So really that full span of capabilities. We've been very successful at leveraging the depth and breadth of these capabilities to be more nimble than some of our larger competitors, but we also offer significantly greater vertical integration and scale compared to some of the smaller companies. That's great, Mike. Thanks. We'll hear a little more from Mike Sanford of Nisha Medical Technologies a little later in the podcast. All right, now would be a good time to bring in our uh, interview with Megan Rosengarten of Medtronic. Sean, you uh, you interviewed Megan. How did you uh, come to, uh, to line up with her and talk about Hugo? Uh, genuinely, uh, our good friend Jim Hammerin, uh, got an email they were looking to you know they, they got european approval i believe it was last week was that when it was announced and uh they were excited to talk about it so the stars they the, should the be. stars aligned and i was able to, to chat with you know the president of, of the whole shebang over there so uh the robotics so yeah it was uh, it was really interesting um learning about what hugo does exactly you know what the different components of it are because i'm not a professional uh nor am i a robotics expert therefore i don't know much about it (laughs) i know as much as i can anyway so but she she helped enlighten me as to what hugo does and uh it was was really interesting kind of learned got to learn as much as they can share about what the future holds for it too you know there's still a lot it doesn't have fda approval yet but they're they're working on that too so well, we'll, we'll uh, break the interview just into two parts. The first part is a small part. And here, Megan Rosengarten tells us a, sort of about the origin story for Hugo and how it started uh, at Kividian under uh, a very interesting name. So let's listen. Prior to Covidian being acquired by Medtronic, I had started in the minimally invasive surgical space around 2008. Um, I almost knew 2008 was a while ago uh, when I joined Covidian um, and I had come previously from Johnson and Johnson with a focus there in both medical devices and consumer products at J and J. And, and so did a number of things that were again, focused on minimally invasive surgery, including at a time when um, we were assessing the role of robotics in minimally invasive surgery. And this was uh, back around 2011 um, when uh, robotics did exist for soft tissue surgery was still very, very nascent. Uh, and we were taking a look at um, what we thought the role of that technology in terms of patient impact, and namely continuing to drive procedures from an open approach to a minimally invasive approach. Um, and, um, and so I was at the, uh, you know, at the, the forefront of, sort of uh, with others of thinking around, is that a space that we want to invest in? Um, and we decided, yes, that's the, uh, the, the punchline there, not a surprise, right? And we started um, around 2012 in earnest putting together an incubator. And it was an incubator that at that time we called Project Einstein. And, and I had the honor to, to be a part of that, of creating that group and that incubator in Covidian. And, uh, and we were very focused on, again, bringing to life a combination of robotic technology, 
data and analytics and that computational power and kind of what could we do with that. So if you if you fast forward now um, to today, that's what this operating unit was born from, was that original incubator within Covidian. And, and now we're um, one of the 20 operating units within Medtronic. And I lead uh, this, this business as the, the president here today. So that's sort of a little bit of the origin story and, and the why we were focused on that in my, you know, my journey, I guess, through that. All right. In this next clip, Sean, uh, you uh, basically asked Megan to uh, introduce the, uh, the Hugo robot. So I think the, the easiest way to think about Hugo, um, it's a robotic assisted surgery system. And we talk about it as being focused on soft tissue surgery, soft tissue, as opposed to hard tissue, which is bone for the most part. So that's kind of the way to think about um, that, that soft tissue nomenclature. Um, and for Hugo, that system is designed um, really for anything that falls into that soft tissue space, organs, et cetera really between neck and pelvis. That's kind of how to think about it. So that's what it was designed for. And examples of specialties uh, or indications for that are things like urology, which an example procedure would be a prostatectomy um, or gynecology and an example procedure of hysterectomy. So that's sort of roughly the the space that it was sort of designed for. Um, And then the, the system itself is made up of several components. So I'll kind of walk through what those are, that you've got a, a surgeon console and a surgeon console is typically going to be in the operating room um, where the patient and the operating room staff and the surgeon are. And you have that console and that's where the surgeon sits and where she can see what's going on inside the patient body, as well as what's going on in the operating room. It's an open console. So you can look around and view and you have a screen that's 3D that is inside the patient body. So you're viewing things and also that surgeon, that's where she's driving the robot. So where she's using um, hand controls in order to manipulate instrumentation that is inside the patient body. That's kind of the the console. And then you're going to have um, with the Hugo system, you have independent robotic arms. So these are individually mounted on carts and you'll have arms that are around the operating table and around the patient. And those arms are, are very flexible in terms of how you configure them, how you set them up. And the you know, number one thing that they're doing is they're holding surgical instruments, which are inserted into the patient body. And those arms and the instruments they're holding are driven by that surgeon back at that console. Again, usually in the same room, but removed from the operating room table, right? And so that brings us to then the instruments are another important part of the system that you've got um, what we call articulating or wristed instruments that mimic the movement of the surgeon's hands at the console. So what the surgeon is doing, these instruments have that same degree of freedom, like a hand inside the body and are performing the surgical tasks as guided by the surgeon. So you've got console, robotic arms, instruments, and then you have this thing that you'll hear called the tower the surgical tower, sometimes robotic tower. And uh, what, what is in that, you can kind of think about it as the, the brains and the nervous system for the, ro- for the robot in that it's got some pretty key components like the visualization system. It's also got uh, quite a few um, processors, computing systems that are in there that are, are analyzing and providing data to the system itself, but also to the operating room staff that are there. Uh, so you've got a screen and they're providing information on on that tower. Yeah, so obviously now the, the recent news is that uh, Hugo earned European approval. So I guess what, you know, as far as a step forward, what, what does that look like for you? How, how big is that? You, I know uh, you were expecting it, so it's not like it's a surprise or anything. You obviously put in the, the work over the regulatory timeline, but you know, how does it move Hugo forward? Yeah, yeah. Not you're right. Not a surprise, but also still awesome, right? And yeah. it feels good. <laughs> and, um, and I think the the piece why this is um, really exciting for us actually does go back to that kind of origin story of how we started this uh, with the Project Einstein and that idea um, of the belief that robotic technology could bring quality, minimally invasive care to more patients. Right? That sort of idea, because when you look at Europe. Um, despite being obviously very developed uh, market in most countries, it's still really, really early on for robotic adoption. So about 2%, that's 
2% of procedures done robotically in Europe today. So we kind of look for places where there's an appetite and an ability um, to access technology and a pent up need to improve patient care by driving more procedures to a minimally invasive approach. That's a, that's a great, that's a sweet spot for our belief that we think that we can benefit patients um, by bringing more invasive, uh, more minimally invasive therapies to them. So that's, that's one of the reasons that it's like, wow, this is a, this is a big deal, you know, to be able to get access to the market and impacting patients uh, within Europe. It's limited, but do you know where Hugo will be kind of rolled out for, to start within a uh, European CE mark uh, accepting co- countries? Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um, I can't share, you know, yeah. for you know, confidentiality or customers and things like that uh, as to where that's going to be. Um, but it, it is, you know, fair to say that we have a, a lot of hospitals and customers and surgeons who have partnered with us throughout this journey. You know, because we started with talking to surgeons and hospital administrators around the world, you know, even nine years back, to say, hey, you know, one, do you believe in the benefits of robotic-assisted surgery? Um, largely yes, but, you know, sort of check that. So then why haven't you adopted it yet? And that's really where we focused in on talking to them, understanding the barriers to adoption and then creating solutions to overcome those barriers. So in that journey, we've built a lot of partners that have been, you know, hand in hand and developing the system and, and bringing it to life. So it's, it's you know, safe to say that we have a lot of those kind of important partnerships and, and lined up um, and, and people who are are hungry, you know, to be the first, uh, to, to use the system. So, um, so yes, I know that was a little bit of a yeah. uh, roundabout answer. But <laughs> that's, that's fun. Uh, and you mentioned 2% adoption. What does that, if you can share, what does that compare to in the States? Um, so uh, well, I can compare to, to globally, it's about yeah. 3% and it is the U S that is bumping that up, you know, so right. By far, by far, the most penetrated market for robotics is is the United States. Uh, and yeah. And so if there is anything you can share on the FDA timeline uh, for, for getting Hugo uh, approved here, you know, what what can you share on that? Yeah. So I can I can share the, the what I know. Um, and so we submitted our for our IDE approval back at the end of March of this calendar year. Um, and we did receive that that approval, uh, which was great. So we now have that. And so what that means is we can now start our U.S. clinical trial and we're focusing on urology first. And so what you can expect is to hear more from us on what we've called our expand euro trial and we'll start uh, that clinical trial and, you know, can't give you the exact dates and are working on that because some of what of it is dependent to our partners and institutions that are going to do that trial. Um, but you can, you can start to expect to hear from us. Uh, we've started that trial, started to enroll patients. So that needs to happen. All of the patient enrollment, all of the successful procedures, and we package up the data from that clinical trial and submit that to the FDA, then they have their allotted time for review, and then that comes back as an approval. So that's uh, that's the the steps, at least, in, in that process. Yeah. And without, you know, obviously, you, you can't predict the future, and you may not want to say it just so it's not, you know, doesn't change down the line, but is there any idea of, you know, next year, the year after, is there any map? To- I, I don't have a, I don't have a, a, a thing I can share with confidence yeah. around that um, because so much is understandably, right. you know, sort of not predictable right, of all of those steps that have to take place in order to, to get that approval. Um, what you can expect is, you know, while we're doing this, we're also uh, collecting data around the world. So we have a global clinical data registry that every one of our um, first partners and, and first customers are enrolled in where we're collecting the patient data from all of these procedures. And, and we do that, um, one, to, to learn, right, and uh, on, on about these systems, but also to compile data that will be used for subsequent regulatory submissions. So this first one is urology, as we talked about. We also have gynecology uh, in, in parts of the world approved. And then we'll continue with the other indications for things that are, you know, again, think of it between neck, chest, abdomen, pelvis um, indications for, for the product. So you'll hear more news um, with the U.S. and elsewhere as that progresses. Yeah, that was my kind of final note was, you know, is there anything you can, what other indications are you looking at if you can share that? You know, obviously, 
innovation just continues to happen, I'm sure. So what are you looking at specifically in terms of where yeah. where he yeah. goes next and and it is pretty broad again not being coy it's just it's yeah. fair to think about that of general surgery thoracic surgery bariatric surgery you know in addition to urology and gynecology is what the system was designed for so now it becomes the stepwise process of generating the evidence and um, that shows that the system is applicable for each of those indications and submitting that and receiving the regulatory approval. So you can think about it in that way. It's not always that sequential, but that, that's probably the, the best way um, to kind of think about it. But the, the system was designed for, for very broad um, use across those. Great. Well, uh, yeah, that's all I have for, for prepared questions. Uh, was there anything you know you thought you would touch on or wanted to mention? think I think the only other thing I you know it's not a you didn't ask but um, maybe that I didn't uh, weave in or share um, is we do have this product called touch surgery enterprise that is one of the components um, so when we were talking through the you know so the building blocks or components of the system in that tower that we talked about is a little bit of the brains um, there is a product called touch surgery enterprise which we actually launched um, last year and it's applicable for yes, Hugo, and sits on the Hugo Tower, but it's also applicable across any laparoscopic surgery or robotic assisted surgery of another vendor. And it's, you know, in its simplest uh, form, the team will cringe because I, I, I overlay person this, but it's just this really, really slick surgical video management solution. So it's, uh, it's automatically recording surgical video and then have providing that um, in the cloud. So there's easy access for surgeons or OR staff um, on their mobile device uh, to go back and look at what happened during that surgery. Um, if they want to go back and review a certain step, or if they want to share something with patients or elsewhere, or if they want to use that footage for training of re residents uh, and, and other surgeons, um, it's, a, it's a really nice tool. So that's something that we're getting really great feedback in the same way we are on Hugo when those initial cases have, have been performed. All right, well, now we're back with New Marcus Newsmakers. Chris, bring in uh, number three on the New Marcus Newsmakers list. Well, number three is another story that's getting a lot of attention on a mass device, but this one ran in full on drug uh, discovery and development uh, from our farm editor, Brian Bunce, but it was about how uh, the FDA is... Uh, pausing its review of uh, Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for uh, adolescents. And this comes because, you know, there have been some uh, regulators around the, the, the world that concluded that the risk of myocarditis uh, is, uh, is higher with Moderna's vaccine than the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, though it's, uh, it's also worth noting that the uh, the risk of getting it is even higher if you get COVID. So I mean it's uh, but um, you know at, le at least for now you know they're kind of uh, you know spending more time to re review the Moderna data and then you know yeah. at the same time um, Pfizer BioNTech I mean there's there's a uh, advisory uh, committee meeting expected by the end of the month that's you know looking at you know providing the the Pfizer vaccine to uh, kids five and up. So kind of so if there's going to be a vaccine that's going to be available to the kids, uh, the, the little kids, it's going to be. Uh, looks like Pfizer's the best bet for that right now. Some some um, school systems in Massachusetts, including the one my son is attending to, actually the, the entire state is uh, asking school systems to survey their students. If they get the vaccination rate above eighty percent, they'll entertain removing the mask requirement. So that'd be awesome. Something to strive for. A little bit of normalcy. All right, what is number two on the list, Chris? Well, number two on the list is uh, there are some uh, news reports. Uh, this is this is by um, gosh, I don't know if you've heard this per about this person, uh, Sean Hooley. Mm -mm. He writes a little bit on our sites, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he uh, Sean here had a story about how there's some uh, actually like he basically writes most of the things on our sites. It's it's pretty awesome. But uh, Sean, you you had a story about how there's some uh, news reports uh, in uh, in Israel that uh, Medtronic has entered in talks to acquire. Uh, triple jump for uh 300 million dollars so that's at least what's what's out there right now and uh i mean sean uh tell us a little bit about what triple jump's about yeah well triple jump uh is a startup based in israel and they develop a small insulin pump patch that is placed on the body and uh has as we talked about everything with connectivity mobile connectivity and it's uh they're they're looking down the line to include it in a future artificial pancreas platform as well. Um, and the report from, I believe it's Calculus, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They said that the investment 
that Medtronic made into Triple Jump in 2020 was that was made by Covidian, which Medtronic or there have been investments before by Medtronic most recently in 2020. And some of those investments were made by Covidian, which Medtronic now owns. Uh, so it's a whole kind of connected thing, but Medtronic is making a, a new insulin pump play. It seems. I mean, I've, uh, I kind of recall previous earnings call where, where I, where there were kind of suggestions they really wanted to up their game and, you know, in the insulin pump space, they thought there was like, room for them to, to improve and compete more and you know this sounds like it's definitely part of uh part of that strategy it builds on the back of uh last month when they bought intellectual property relating to uh implanted infusion pumps from the alfred mann foundation for scientific research uh i thought that was an interesting move then and now it yeah. seems that they're just kind of adding to their arsenal of insulin pump stuff yeah and of course, they had uh, partnered with Blackstone, the private equity group that was going to invest in uh, in their diabetes business. So uh, it's definitely an area where they see a, a, an opportunity for growth. So uh, good stuff. All right, Chris, what is the the big number one on the new markers newsmakers list? Well, and the number one um, on the list, uh, another another really good one from Sean here. Um, really jumped on the story. They J and J had their earnings this week, and in the earnings call, uh, they said that they're going to be delaying the development of their uh, Atava robot mm. by two years. Um, and Sean, Sean, tell, tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so obviously when when J and J kind of unveiled the surgical robot, the much anticipated uh, platform from them almost a year ago, it was massive news. Everyone's excited. Uh, I believe they touted it as the next big thing. They they, they were really proud of of what they had produced, and uh, yeah. But in in their earnings call, some of the executives mentioned that some of their you know expenses and charges they're causing delays and there's uh COVID-19 related disruptions supply chain constraints that have led to a two-year delay uh for the Otava surgical robot platform that changes from the earlier projections of the second half of 2022 when they would start uh pursuing some of the regulatory timeline stuff Sounds like it's not going to, there's not going to be like clinical trials and people uh, until like the middle of the decade at this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we tried to get a, a few Wall Street analysts on to talk about it, but unfortunately weren't, weren't able to do it. But I did get a, a note from SVB Lyrink and uh, the news was pretty, it was understated as at the end of the note. And it said on the product front, we'd argue the biggest incremental piece of news out of J&J is that the Otava surgical robot is delayed two years and now expected in 2024 versus prior 2022 guidance. And then they cited this is due to both technical challenges and COVID-driven supply shortages. And of course, yeah. they see this as positive news for other robotic players, most notably Intuitive and Medtronic. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, here you have Intu- yeah. Intuitive's, you know, like dominated the space forever. Medtronic, I mean, they have the Hugo, you know, just got European approval. And then, yeah, the Yatava, you know, like uh, the, it looks like the inhuman, you know, the first inhuman uh, you know, trials is going to be delayed a few more, a few more years. So, that's- yeah. Well, they've got an excellent team there. They got Fred Mall at J and J. So uh, hopefully they'll uh, they'll find a way to to right the ship and 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 uh, move things forward. Before we get into this keynote interview, I'd like to bring back Mike Sanford of Nisha Medical Technologies. Mike, we're talking a lot about the significant investments flowing into surgical robotics. There's a lot of competition out there. What should OEMs look for when selecting a development partner? Tom, we've seen medical OEMs commit a tremendous amount of money and resources to the surgical robotics race. And, you know, within that, we, we haven't always seen that equate to speed. So, from our perspective, we really believe that medical OEMs can derive a significant amount of value in partnering with a company that has a meaningful level of experience in mechanical and electromechanical instrumentation type of devices that include very complex architecture within the device and also within the application itself. So one of the things that we've done at Nisha Medical Technologies to address those needs was to establish a series of development accelerator programs that we position subject matter experts in a leadership role to drive these programs within a very standardized process that allows the teams to operate uh, very effectively and efficiently at the same time. And ultimately, what we've done through our accelerator program offering is deliver our customers very tangible results within a very uh, tight timeline and, and also within a very palatable budget. 
Thanks for joining us, Mike Sanford of Nisha Medical Technologies. And thanks to Nisha Medical Technologies for sponsoring this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. If you'd like more information, you can go to nishamedical.com. Nisha is spelled N-I-S-S-H-A. Now let's begin this keynote interview with Yvonne Tornos, the COO of Zimmer Biomet. Well, Yvonne Tornos, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. I'm excited to have Zimmer Biomet's uh, story on the podcast. We've had uh, had you on once before, but it's going to be uh, an excellent opportunity to get a, an overview of all you've got going on. And we have a lot of things to talk about. Before we roll in, into Zimmer Biomet, though, uh, you've uh, you've been in the medtech industry for a good long time. Tell us uh, how you uh, how you find your way into this business. Sure. Thank you, Tom. And, and before uh, I answer that, I just want to say that I'm a, a big fan of the work that you do and, and I've listened to a few of the podcasts and, and they're outstanding. So I hope I can, I can continue that train. But uh, <laughs> the, the short, well, well, thanks very much for that. The short answer. Yeah, absolutely. The short answer, I, I've been in MedTech my entire life. So I'm, I'm originally from Madrid, Spain, as you can hear uh, in the funny accent. And uh, right out of college, I uh, went into consulting in healthcare. And then from then, I went into private equity in healthcare uh, in Europe. And then uh, 25, 26 years later, I'm still in healthcare. I spent a, a great majority of time uh, over at J&J in different roles around the world. Then uh, with Baxter, Covidian, which became Medtronic, and then Barr, which became Beckton Dickinson. And about uh, three years ago, I joined Zimmer Biomed at, at a very exciting point, if I may add. Uh, first as a group president and, and now as the uh, president uh, of the group and the chief operating officer. And, and I tell you, it's been nothing but a lot of fun. And, and I love being in healthcare. We get to solve problems every day, and I wouldn't change this profession and what we do for anything else. So it's great to be here. And what was the thing that drew you to the uh, the sector initially? Was there a moment when you were uh, considering a, a different path and chose this one? Sure. Well, I, I think it's probably a combination of uh, purpose and luck. Uh, purpose, I sadly have dealt with uh, a lot of healthcare issues in, in, in my family life story, you know, not to get into a lot of uh, emotional things here. But uh, my father died when he was 45 and I was five. Oh, my gosh. My uncle became my father and he died shortly after at the age of 45. And I had a brother that passed away at the age of 45. So a disease. Oh, my goodness. Terminal disease uh, has, been, uh, has been something prevalent in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm 46 years old, so I, I made it through that uh, milestone. Uh, and that, uh, that created a sense of purpose in, in my life, to be close to uh, ways to remediate disease to uh, be part of the solution in changing the standard of care uh, and to help patients, quite frankly. So that's, that's the purpose part. Uh, the last part is that uh, I interviewed for a job in a non-healthcare industry uh, role uh, straight out of college, and they rejected me. Uh, and Plan B uh, was uh, working at a private equity environment, which uh, they didn't reject me. And 27 years later, I'm glad that uh, I felt that interview. That's an amazing story. That's a, it's a horrible coincidence about your father, uncle, and, and brother. I mean, I must, I'm sure that stays with you every day. And not to, I'm not trying to go elicit any sort of emotional response, but I, it must impact uh, to a great degree how you live your life. Uh, daily, daily. Uh, every yeah. single day, I think about the fact that we truly are impacting people, people that likely we will never get to uh, meet or, or know. But, uh, you know, in those long days, and I had a long day probably the last 470 nights with COVID and everything in between, when I go to bed, uh, that sense of purpose, that sense of knowing that I'm helping somebody, that I'm, I'm helping a patient, we are helping a patient, mm -hmm. uh, is something that uh, gives you the energy for, uh, for the next day. So I, I don't think you can do this job well without having some sort of, uh, of sense of purpose. In my case, it's very acute because of my family dynamics. In, in other cases, maybe uh, other reasons. But if, uh, if the patient caring is not at the forefront of what you do, you are never going to be successful at this job. You cannot fake it. So, absolutely. I think that's well said, and uh, and I think people don't uh, outside the industry don't really appreciate how much is uh, how much the patient actually factors into a lot of decisions that are made. But let's uh, let's talk about uh, your role at Zimmer. I want to get into all you have going on. There's a, a lot sure. of exciting projects. But uh, as chief operating officer, please uh, tell me what what find your role? What are your responsibilities and, and, and how do you work with uh, with the CEO, Brian Hansen? Uh, I would say there are pretty much four key areas that uh, I work daily uh, upon, and those are strategy, operations, culture, and, and innovation. And let me give you just a couple of things on, on each. On the strategy front, which I like to think that is 90% of my time, these days is probably less with uh, COVID and all the urgent staff. Mm -hmm. uh, I am tasked uh, to transform the company with a group of people from being what historically has been, uh, Tom, a metal and plastic company to being what we call um, a customer-centric 
solutions leader. We want to move from selling implants to solving problems. And as you know, you know this space very well. Uh, we got all kinds of problems in orthopedics, whether it's the outcomes not being what patients deserve, whether it's the inefficiency in the surgical episode of care, whether it is just the overall high cost that uh, still you see in the episode of care, I can go on and on. Uh, we want to be a solutions leader in solving those problems through our technology, through our implants, through our data, and other elements of uh, our ecosystem. So that's that's vector number one. When it comes to operations, um, I um, I pretty much think of myself as the person responsible to make sure that uh, we drive a very efficient operation here at Zimmer Biomed. We got uh, 23,000 employees across 125 different countries, all kinds of priorities. I want to make sure that we run Zimmer Biomed globally like a startup. I want us to move with the speed that I know we can move uh, in or at. Uh, I want us to act like a startup. Uh, I've seen that happen in other large companies, and I think of myself as a person that is going to induce that speed in the way that we operate with, with everything associated with the operation. Uh, when it comes to panel management and all the different uh, other areas in how we execute. The third one, which is probably the most important one, is, is culture and talent. Um, I like to think of myself as a, as a global cheerleader of the company. Mm-hmm. As someone who daily is inspiring this uh, this notion of, of winning every day in the marketplace for patients primarily, but also obviously for, for us here at Zimmer Biomed. I uh, spend a, a large amount of time ensuring that I'm meeting people that uh, can uh, join the company, develop people, as well as hiring people, uh, and really driving the message of uh, why we do what we do. We're really talking about our mission, alleviating pain and improving the quality of life for people uh, around the world. So in that cultural bucket, I, I will tell you that uh, I like to spend as much time as possible. And then the fourth and, and final area of responsibility is innovation, um, which is very exciting. You know, we've gone through some challenges in the past. I'll tell you the last three years innovation-wise have been phenomenal. Uh, we're going to be launching uh, close to 50 new products over, let's call it the short to midterm. So I don't give you too much information here. We have moved uh, our R&D investments from implants to uh, technology. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, 70% of all the money that we invest today is in robotics, technology, and, and applications beyond the implant. So those, those are my four key areas of responsibility, strategy, operations, culture, talent, uh, as well as innovation. That's remarkable. Yeah, let's focus on, on innovation for a moment. I, I wanted to ask about a, a recent hire that was announced, uh, and, I, and I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly. I'm sure I'm not. Neaton Goyel who is, uh, yeah. Oh, excellent. Who is, uh, your new innovation officer role uh, is the chief science technology and innovation officer role. And, uh, what was interesting is he came over from, uh, the, he was chief medical officer and senior VP of innovation and digital care at rally health, which was part of United Health's group Op- optimism business. So it was very much not a, a an orthopedics hire. Uh, obviously it was a medical hire, but what, role will Dr. Gilliel have there? And what does the creation of that position mean to the point you just made about your commitment to innovation? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to be careful what I say about anything here because he's got a, a very big ego. And if I start saying <laughs> all kinds of nice things, his ego is only going to get uh, larger. But uh, on, on a serious note, this has been a, a great addition to the team. So Dr. Goyal, uh, as you mentioned, is somebody who's got a, a very unique background because uh, obviously he's a surgeon, uh, an orthopedic surgeon uh, at a very prestigious uh, clinic, the Anderson Clinic outside of uh, DC, um, Rothman orthopedics guy, but, but also somebody who understands the business side of things. You know, He's created two companies. He sold two companies. He's someone who understands how business uh, are run. He's uh, just, just an amazing individual. In terms of the role, you know, he is going to be the main architect of this transformation of uh, that I just mentioned, moving from products to solutions. Uh, we have tasked uh, Nitin, Dr. Goya, with uh, the main responsibility of organically and inorganically looking for sources of revenue associated with the problems we're trying to solve. How we delivered a much better outcome via implants and other solutions? Mm-hmm. How do we reduce uh, or improve efficiency in the operating room? And he knows all about that because you know, he's somebody who's done a lot of uh, orthopedic procedures. Uh, what are opportunities for us to engage better with uh, other stakeholders, the, the providers, the payers? How do we how do we accelerate uh, design uh, of uh, the different solutions, et cetera, et cetera? So I could give you a very long uh, speech here, but I'll tell you, he's the main architect of uh, this, this transformation. And, and frankly, I don't think you could find uh, just a better individual for the role. A business guy, a surgeon, and someone who was a customer and is the creator of the solutions for those customers. 
Interesting. Uh, no, and it certainly is a consistent part of this story, or or it holds up to the the rest of the story. And that it, it, I'm I'm impressed at how in, in reviewing for this interview and all that's that's gone on in the new uh, products and systems you have at Zimmer that. It is sounding more like like a, a tech store, and I'm and I'm and I'm I guess I'm feeding into to your position with that. But between the robotics and the ZB Edge and Persona and things we'll talk about right now, uh, it's sounding less like a an orthopedics company, and and at least a, more like a hybrid of, of tech and orthopedics. So I'm guessing that's how how you see things as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So let's let's get into those different areas. Let's start with Persona. You had some news there uh, recently. Uh, this is an area where, well, uh, first, what before I go any further with my planification, uh, <laughs> talk a bit about Persona. What is it? What does it bring to uh, to the orthopedics channel? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start with a disclaimer that I'm, I'm still slightly hungover from the celebration party yesterday uh, <laughs> here in New York City. At HSS, we uh, we inserted the very first smart implant in the, in the world of orthopedics. And, and, and I, I say that with a lot of pride, the very first smart implant only. ADA approved implant in, in orthopedics, and that is Persona IQ. What is it? You know, I, I guess the simple way to uh, describe this is uh, our, our own Persona implant with, uh, with a sensor, with a proprietary implantable uh, sensor from uh, a company that we have a great partnership with, uh, Canary Medical. Uh, that sensor uh, goes into the uh, tibial extension of, of the actual implant, and post-surgery, uh, it starts to uh, measure things. And what you measure is going to be highly scalable. You know, right out of the gate, we measure things like range of motion, step count, uh, walking speed, the, the quality of your walk, uh, what we call uh, gate metrics. But beyond that, then the road is going to it's going to start measuring many more other things. You know, we we strongly believe at some point, not in the so distant future, you know, we can measure things such as uh, you know movement of the implant, potential risk of uh, infection, temperature, and, and many other things that you know it will take me an hour to describe. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, the fact that you have now a sensor that stays in the actual implant for uh, 20 years plus uh, is going to also feed data not only to the patient, but uh, in terms of uh, overall performance in those dynamics that I just mentioned, it's also going to feed uh, data to, uh, to, the, uh, to the actual physician. You know, and, and just keep in mind today, Tom, the way you do that is you, know, you go and you follow up with your physician. They ask you, how are you doing? How's your range of motion? Are things working out? All that is gone. Now the physician is going to get all that data. And the data is going to be able to compare how the patient is working out post-surgically versus how the patient was functioning pre-surgically, you know, through other conduits like my mobility, you know, another application that we got here at Zimmer Biomed with, with Apple. Uh, the physician is going to get data now on multiple patients. He's, she or he is going to be able to know, you know, what is the right implant at the right time for a certain individual. Uh, that is highly scalable. You know, now you start talking predictive analytics and, and all kinds of other stuff. So... It's very exciting. I could, I could talk for an hour, but but I will tell you is that this really does solve a problem for that patient, for that physician. And then the last thing I'll say here, and I'll be quiet here for a second, also for the provider. You know, Think about the impact of collecting that data and be able to tell a provider. In this case, I just think you know, HSS here in New York City. You know, This is how patients will respond to a certain implant with certain conditions. Uh, this is what's going to happen in terms of overall performance, 30, 60, 90, 15 years later. So I, I find that to be truly transformational. It's interesting is in covering orthopedics for a while. And when robotics first sort of came into orthopedics, there was a, a, st- a belief that the large, large joint implants for orthopedics were already wildly successful and you don't really need to improve on that 95%, 97%, whatever they said was a success rate. Now we've moved into a, a, an ability to track the performance of these implants, provide all, all this data. Why is this data important is my first question. And my second question is, how do you ensure that the data is accessed, monitored, and used by uh, by the physicians primarily, I guess, because uh, they're they're accustomed to asking the patient, how, how's it feeling? Uh, are they accustomed to tracking data and, and, and checking the data that comes from the sensors? How do they come to use data in their in their everyday lives? Yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me just start by saying that, that you're right. You know, overall joint survivorship uh, efficacy of uh, implants is, is fairly, fairly high, uh, especially compared to other industries that I worked at. You know, in the 90, 95% in some cases, joint survivorship. That said, still one out of every five patients uh, post-surgery is not satisfied with the implant. Could be expectations, it could be the wrong implant, the wrong technique, or or a combination of factors. So just just know that 
we still have a gap there. Not to mention that, you know, even if 5% of patients are not satisfied, uh, that's 5% too much or, or maybe 20% uh, if you use the, the literature around overall satisfaction uh, post-surgery. In terms of how our surgeons, your, your, your question, when I use the data and how do we make sure that uh, they, they track the data and deliver the data, if, if I understood the, the question correctly. So the, the patient and the physician will have access to that data. And again, right at the gate, you know, things that I as a surgeon can do with the data, I can understand uh, range of motion right after the surgery, uh, working uh, well or not, level of physical therapy that uh, you as a patient tell me to engage upon. Uh, with that data, I can, uh, I can understand what is the potential risk of readmission. With that data, I can understand potential complications. And again, going back to later, and, and later not being years from now, you know, you can get already alarm bells. You know, is that is that implant moving, which mm-hmm. is going to cause infection and other problems? Uh, you know, what's 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 happening with the patient? And that's done in a very passive way. You know, it's no longer you uh, reporting how you feel, which is a very subjective uh, type of answer. It's very quantitative data points in terms of how biomechanically your implant is moving. And data, as a surgeon or not, do a do a good job. Uh, what to do with the data later on? Uh, some of the things that I mentioned earlier. You know, you can start to really think what is the best time uh, and the best implant for a given for a given patient. You can start getting into all kinds of predictive analytics um, in terms of redesigning uh, implants. What are things that work or don't work? You can get in, into all kinds of data. Um, you know, as a physician and, and again, as I mentioned already. As a provider, you know, it does, it does really help you monitor in a very proactive way. I uh, start to forecast your expenses um, in, in a given hospital. What percentage of cases will, you know, equal to a certain uh, amount of money? Uh, what is the, you know, readmission rate associated with certain implants, et cetera, et cetera. So highly scalable. And I, I suppose if you demonstrate how essential this data is, then the implants that don't provide this data that don't have the sensors will uh, will not compare well to uh, to Zimmer Biomet. That, that is a strong hypothesis. You yeah. know? And again, uh, these days, everybody's talking about data. You know, it's, and, and, and I guess that's why you're asking the question, what's the u- usefulness of this data? Mm-hmm. And again, our, our hypothesis here is that uh, we're going to be able to know uh, what are early complications. We're going to be able to understand best time for the right uh, implant uh, for the right patient. We're going to be able to really control, you know, what's the overall episode of care duration. Uh, we're going to be able to, um, again, down the road, lower readmission rates associated with uh, infection, which is extremely expensive. It's extremely rare, you know, low single digit, but when it does happen, it's extremely, extremely expensive, not to mention that it can be mortal for a patient. So those are some of the indicators that you're going to be able to get through, uh, through the data. Excellent. And, 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 just, and, and I'll finish with just one comment here. You know, you can also link the data post-surgery now for the first time to the, uh, to the data pre-surgery. You know, mm-hmm. right now through my mobility with Apple, uh, which is a patient engagement tool, uh, you can understand how the patient is behaving pre-surgery. But until yesterday, uh, there was no way to understand how the patient truly, in a very accurate way, is uh, performing post-surgery. Now you got the entire episode of care. Um, what's happening to the patient before, what's happening to the patient during with uh, robotics such as ROSA, and then now for the first time, what's happening to the patient after, and by the way, how is that compared to uh, to the early stages of the episode of care? Now we, we move into the ZB Edge part of the story. Is this is ZB Edge, talk, to a bit, talk a bit about what it is, and, and is this sort of the platform where all of this data is uh, makes sense and is presented in a way that makes sense for physicians and payers and anyone else who's who's monitoring. Yeah, absolutely. So CBH, uh, the, the simple way to describe it uh, is for ecosystem of solutions. You know, going back to uh, not being a, a metal and plastic products only company anymore, CBH encompasses uh, all kinds of solutions. Uh, obviously, best-in-class implants, hips, knees, shoulders. Uh, we have uh, the leading position uh, across all three of those. Number one uh, knee company today, uh, I say that proudly uh, and factually, number one in hips and, and number one in shoulders. But beyond that, uh, we got robotics uh, in different categories. We got uh, now smart implants as, as of yesterday. So the uh, the combination of all that is what we call a CVH or, or ecosystem of solutions. Uh, what makes a CVH unique is that every single component of uh, this ecosystem either gathers data or feeds data. Mm-hmm. You know, the people uh, talk usually about an ecosystem, in my view, um, the wrong way, you know, just as a category or, or as a bundle. You know, we believe that uh, our ecosystem is unique because it truly is not an end-to-end solution, a category play, 
but rather what we call, what I call an in-twin solution. Pieces and parts are truly fitting one another in the true uh, definition of um, of an ecosystem. And by the way, I, I failed biology 101, so maybe I'm not describing that correctly, <laughs> but I think, I, think, uh, I think you get the point. Uh, and Persona IQ is the latest component of that ecosystem or that CVH, you know. And and how does ZB Edge present to the world? What does it look like? Is it is it a is it a dashboard where someone can collect or see all of the data that's being collected? Is it merely sort of a, a network that you've identified and that you're using the term for 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 marketing to to kind yeah. of identify what what does ZB Edge actually look like to uh, to someone who's using it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start by saying that you got great products in CDH. You know, I, I know when you start talking ecosystems and you know all, all kinds of data, it becomes very blurry, uh, borderline science fiction-like. So let me just start with the fact that CVH does have amazing implants, um, the leading category implants, uh, which our surgeons use you know, every single day. Those get augmented by the data capabilities uh, around the implant. Those get augmented by the fact that uh, we're able to uh, feed through robotics data intracase to, to that surgeon to see uh, what, is, uh, what is, again, the best implant, how is the implant going to perform, uh, what is the anatomy of the patient, the biomechanics, uh, all of that. Uh, so you're getting data uh, compounded with the implants. Uh, you do get a dashboard. Uh, we call that ortho intel that has uh, all kinds of dynamics, uh, again, for, uh, for that patient and the entire episode of care. Um, so if I were to simplify the answer, I would say, what do you get as a patient or what do you get rather as a physician? You get best-in-class implants uh, with data that tells you how to best position those implants uh, through the smart robotics and whatnot, how to understand what's going to be the performance post-surgery, uh, with a combination of um, my mobility and persona IQ, et cetera, et cetera. And the final piece to uh, to the story is uh, your robotic system. I feel like we should have almost started off with this. It's one of your your your, your bigger stories, but uh, but it fits nicely into what we have been talking about. Uh, talk a bit about uh, Rosa Robotics. You've got you've got a lot of different applications for it. Your knee, your your hip, uh, spine. You've yep. got F- FDA. Talk about why uh, where Rosa fits into the infrastructure we've been we've been talking about. Well, let me let me begin by saying that uh, we're not a robotic company, and, and it's interesting these days. You know, a lot of the questions we get from um, analysts and, and investors is about uh, or robot versus somebody else's robot. I don't see myself as a robotic company. I see ourselves as a technology company. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those ingredients in, in that ecosystem that I keep talking about is, is robotics. Uh, what I like about Rosa is that again, uh, it does feed, uh, it does interconnect with the other parts of the ecosystem. Uh, very excited about it, but no, it's not the, the one core component. It's, it's one of a few, and, and, and the whole is what makes uh, our company so exciting. That say we got uh, four, as you mentioned, uh, robotic applications today. We got uh, the brain application, uh, spine. Uh, we got knees and we got hips. Uh, within knees, we got uh, both the total knee arthroplasty uh, indication or application, as well as the uh, as the partial one. And then hip, we just launched about a, a month ago. It's going really well. The feedback has been great. It's going to sound like I'm bragging again, but uh, we're doing very well. If you listen to Brian Hanson, our, our chairman and CEO, if you listen to uh, Brian talk about robotics, uh, we're doing really well. Uh, surgeons seem to like the fact that uh, with a, a very time-efficient uh, application or, or robotic solution. We, we are CT scanless. The prep time is, is not something you need to worry about. Um, high volume surgeons uh, do like working with us. In the ASC environment where time does truly matter uh, because it's somebody's uh, money, uh, a surgeon, um, uh, an owner, um, we, we believe we got a, a leading advantage in, in that space. So very, very excited about the application, the scalability, uh, what's coming, which is a lot. Does the, how does the the robotic system fit into the sensors and fit into ZB Edge? Is it required to to is it a required element to access the full potential of those those other two areas, or will you be you selling the sensors and the implants that use the sensors uh, to folks who who don't use robotic? Your robotic system perhaps use uh, another one, or perhaps they don't use any robotics at all. Sure. No, it's not. Uh, it's not required. Uh, I mean, you can use all the components of CBH individually. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can have a smart knee without, you know, using a robot. You can have my mobility and, and not use, you know, Rosa. So it's not required. Um, it's, I would say, it's desired uh, for the patient and the physician mm-hmm. because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they complement uh, one another. But, but no, uh, the, the simple way to talk about this interconnectivity, the in-to-in that I mentioned earlier. Uh, think about you tomorrow going to see uh, your surgeon. Uh, sounds like uh, your osteoarthritis is not uh, what it needs to be. You're going to need an implant. 
Uh, now, prior to your surgery, call it 90 days before, um, I put you on a patient engagement tool, which we call my mobility, that is really going to tell you and the physician and the care team how, how you behave. You know, what is your what is your mobility? What is your range of motion? What are you doing, not doing? It's going to teach you what to do prior to the surgery. All those data points are now going to that surgeon. And those data points, uh, again, I'm simplifying this, are actually going if the surgeon decides to use a robot, uh, which again, I would. Uh, all those data points are going into the actual ROSA. Now, ROSA has all your, all your information, knows, um, knows how, to, how to guide the surgeon on, on the surgery, where to cut, where not to cut, you know, what is the, uh, what is the right amount of, uh, of, of cutting that needs to take place, given your, your, your functionality, uh, your biomechanics, as I mentioned earlier. And now, once we suture you up and you go home, uh, the combination of uh, the persona IQ and the data you're getting uh, is going to continue to feed information uh, to the surgeon that is going to compare how Tom was doing prior to surgery, how Tom is doing after after surgery. So that that is true interconnectivity. Uh, and by the way, all that data gets uh, uploaded into a dashboard, which we call uh, ortho intel. So do you need to have all those pieces together? No. Uh, would I like, if I'm Tom and I got that knee implant, would I like to have all those pieces working together? Yes, because I'd love to have as much data in the hands of my caregiver as possible. And I personally would like to have as much data as possible so I understand what's working and not working with, uh, with a new implant that I just got. Excellent. Well, what, let's sort of look ahead. I mean, we, we've explained how you, you opened this up saying that, uh, that, that Zimmer Biomed is, is as much a tech, comp- a tech story as it is a, an orthopedic story. And I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing you there. What's gone into changing the culture at the company to have your employees feel that way? Because I'm sure there's still some some strong legacy feelings toward being in orthopedics. And you, and you clearly, that's the industry you, you function in. How, how, do you, how do you change that culture? And where do you see things going forward? Do you see yourself, the, the pendulum swinging more towards tech? And, and what does Zimmer Biomet look like in four or five years? Yeah, absolutely. Let me start uh, with, with the final question. Um, Zimmer Biomed is going to be the boldest medtech company uh, in the world, uh, and that's not a hyperbolic statement. We make uh, we've made a very strong bet in, in, in making sure that, that that is the vision. We want to be bold, uh, boldest. How do you define boldest? We want to be number one in solving the problems in orthopedics. Uh, we want to drive the most efficient surgery with the best outcome, the safest outcome for the patient. And we want to make sure that uh, we do our job when it comes to lowering the cost of, of care. So that's how we define being the boldest. Uh, I envision five years from now, 2026, uh, January 1st, Thursday, January 1st, 2026, uh, to be more concrete, people will look back and they'll say, these guys really did become the uh, problem solvers, the customer-centric solutions leaders in, in orthopedics. So that's that's the end of the movie here. Um, and to align to that movie, we're going to continue to look for uh, all kinds of opportunities within technology, within data, uh, within process excellence, uh, while we continue to innovate best-in-class uh, best devices. So that's, that's the end of the movie. Uh, how do we align the culture of the organization to, to that? Well, look, you know orthopedics well, right? Uh, one of the things that is striking about orthopedics uh, and I used to work uh, many years ago in orthopedics, and, and here I am back, is that things change slowly. Uh, they really do, uh, you know, for X, Y amount of reasons. How do we make sure that we move uh, our, our culture in that direction of being the boldest med tech company in the world? It's a combination of really explaining the why every day uh, to, uh, to our organization, to our salespeople, to, uh, to educate our sales team on, on the fact that uh, no longer an implant is going to be the way to solve a problem. That's, that's just part of the solution, but it's not the only solution. It's, uh, it's really training. Uh, we do a lot of training. Uh, we are certifying every single one of our reps. Uh, we got uh, thousands of them uh, in terms of uh, why robotics and technology and data needs to be part of the selling solution. Um, training, development, hiring people that uh, have done similar things in other areas that become mentors uh, to the rest. And, and then ultimately, I think people, by seeing the results, uh, they'll, uh, they'll jump on the journey. What I will tell you, and I will move on to the next question here, Tom, is that uh, the team, the organization, from a cultural standpoint, uh, is fully on board with the journey that we have embarked upon. And, and I'll tell you that already from a cultural standpoint, today we have a totally different culture, a gym environment, than we did just three years ago. Right. And just last question, sort of more uh, nuts and bolts in terms of growing as a company. Uh, talk about the a bit, if you would, the decision uh, to to spin out what's now being called Zimvi 
Uh, why was that essential? And what do you look to bring into the company in terms of acquisitions going forward? Or do you see innovative ideas coming through acquisitions of smaller companies? Do you see yourselves doing more partnerships like with Canary? Or are you going to lean more heavily on internal things? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Zimbi, uh, the spin-off for uh, dental office-based technologies, as well as Spine Business, uh, is part of our Brian, or, or president, CEO and chairman has been talking about for the four years he's been here, you know, active portfolio management. Uh, we owe it to, uh, to our shareholders and, and, and to our customers to be really focused on those areas where we have uh, truly the right to win, to, to truly be focused and be number one, uh, if not number two in the category. And when you look at those businesses, you know, for focus reasons, for, for other reasons, maybe they don't fit that, that criteria. You also, and, and by the way, they're going to be able to do that on, on their own, much better than being part of a company that today is, you know, 90% something else other than dental spine and, and OBT. Mm-hmm. So it's focus and, and right to win number one. Uh, number two, you heard Brian probably also talk about uh, the fact that we want to get into a higher, weighted average market growth rate uh, segments. Can you even believe that I can pronounce that? <laughs> um, cat- categories that are growing faster. And as we think about that, you know, we want to move from those areas to investments in uh, surgical extremities, trauma, uh, technology, uh, and, other, and other spaces. And I think that, that leads to the answer to your question. As we think about portfolio or, or business development, uh, where do we want to be? Well, we want to be focused on on areas that diversify us um, in different vectors. You know, we don't want to be just an orthopedic musculoskeletal healthcare company, pointing case the, the acquisition of a which we did last year in our um, cranial maxillofacial uh, thoracic um, business, um, acquisitions that we're considering um, on external closure, acquisitions that we're considering um, from a different point of care standpoint in the ASC, acquisitions that we look, uh, we look what we have done in sports medicine and other areas, and, and areas that, again, diversify Zimmer Biomed and get us into a, a higher, I'll try again, weighted average market growth rate uh, segment. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and that's what we're doing already. And, and it seems to be working out. Fantastic. Well, Ivan, I appreciate the, uh, the time you took. You've been on with us for a long time today, but you've had a, a great deal to talk about. Uh, we look forward to tracking your, your story. And uh, thanks for, for joining us in the podcast. We look forward to not disappointing. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, that is a wrap on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Uh, Sean Hooley, where can folks find you out there in Twitter and LinkedIn land? You can find me on Twitter at Sean, S-E-A-N, Hooley, W-H-O-O-L-E-Y, W-T-W-H. That is on Twitter, uh, Sean Hooley, W-T-W-H, and then Sean Hooley uh, on LinkedIn, Excellent. We never talked about Ted Lasso. We won't at this point because some people might not have seen it, but uh, I did finally see that final episode and uh, it was good. It was good. A little surprising. That's gonna it. Miss it. I am too. I know. These short streaming seasons just kill me. It's like, you call that a season? Nine episodes? What is that about? Anyway, Chris Newmark, are you a Ted Lasso fan? I have not watched it, but I've, it sounds like I need oh, to. It, it is like- up, your, up your alley. All right. Couldn't recommend it more. Chris, you may be Ted Lasso yourself. Wow. What do you think, Sean? <laughs> there's a little bit of there's a little bit of Ted in there. You gotta get the must, mustache going, but <laughs> Chris Newmarker, where can we find you out there on social media land? Hey you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. You can find me on Twitter at Newmarker. Always happy to chat with people. Excellent. And I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. Please tag us all when you share this on LinkedIn or Twitter, this episode. You can share it. You can subscribe to it. You can tell your friends about it. Uh, You can rank it. You can comment. You can do lots of things to help the podcast out. We certainly appreciate it. Folks who do subscribe get to hear it before anyone else. So be part of that very exclusive group. Subscribe on your podcast apps, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and many more. So. That's a wrap. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast waiting for you. Enjoy the fall.